So I think it's really, uh, it's really important for us uh, every once in a while to just like take, just take this in for a second. Um, so what's crazy is in all of those comfortable black chairs that you're sitting in, uh, every single, every single one of you represent an incredible amount of sovereignty. Like, think about the story that is summarized in you sitting in this chair tonight. Like, all of the things that had to happen, all of the, the places that you've seen, all the people that you've been around. So we just, we just took one seat, Daniel Beckman, right, and all of the story and all the things that God has done in his life, and then we multiplied it by the room. Isn't it crazy, just for a second... Like, like, doesn't it just for a second sit you back a little bit and say, oh my goodness. And then you multiply what God has done from this room into what he's done in all of the nations. One God. Like, like I just, and I know saying that, that you have chills can be frivolous, but like I'm just overwhelmed. Is anyone else? Like, like just the thought of that. And we could go around this whole room, pass the mic, take a couple hours. And just imagine, think through, worship the God who's done a great work in your life. So I am uh, tonight overwhelmed by that. The reason why I think it's so overwhelming is because in light of that, we're still called uh, to scriptures like this. Uh, Put up my first slide here, Andrew, if you can. Philippians chapter 2, listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So it's one thing to celebrate God's sovereignty in everyone. And then it's a whole other thing right now in this moment to think about counting every single other person in this room more significant than myself. So try that one on for size for a second. Every single individual, okay? By my quick count, about 426, okay? In this room right now, right? And the scripture says that in humility, we're to count every single person in this room more significant than us. So as I take that in, like I'm instantly like, Lord, like how is this possible? Like, like how can I possibly know everyone in this room enough to count every single person more significant than myself? What does that even look like? Then Galatians 5, as if this wasn't heavy enough, says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and I'll include certainly sisters here. Okay, any sisters here tonight? Come on now. All right, six, praise the Lord. Now, you were called, you were called to freedom, brothers. Look at this. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through what? Come on, love, serve one another. So we've been given a ton of freedom in Christ. And we're to take that freedom in humility, count others more significant than ourselves, and we're called in Christ to serve one another. So what's going on in Corinth, listen to this, is there is uh, some food that is being offered to uh, men and women, and that same food has been blessed or sacrificed to an idol god. 
Now, what Paul made clear last week is that idols are nothing. Like, they're, they're not really idols. They're lowercase gods. They're, they're myth. They're fairy tale. They're not like our uppercase God. Real, true, holy, righteous. But what's happening is all of these new believers in Corinth are wrestling with, well, do we eat the food or not? Are we freed in Christ or not? And what Paul's been addressing is how the body in Corinth is to use the liberties and the freedoms that we have in Christ to serve one another. My contention tonight is I'm not so sure how interested that you and I are in using the freedoms that we have in Christ to serve one another. My contention, and I'll just speak for myself, is that I am often interested in taking those freedoms I have in Christ and serving myself. I mean, I am given so much freedom in Christ. Think about it again. Like, you in your seat and you multiply by the room. The bondage and the slavery of sin has been loosed from my shoulders, my neck, my being because of Jesus. And so in that, like, I have crazy amounts of freedom. I'm not saying it increases my vertical, but, but like, but God's done a good work in me. And so tonight, I want to ask a very clear question. And I'm just going to be, I want to make sure that you understand. There will be, there will be a massive temptation for every single one of us, including myself, to get massively defensive tonight. There's going to be moments, I'm guaranteeing you, there's going to be moments where tonight, because of this topic and how together we serve one another, count other, you're going to be like, well, but what about this and what about that and what about this scenario? And we're going to put our guards up naturally. Instead, instead, tonight, can we just by God's spirit just receive and wrestle? Let's begin by asking this. Next slide. How can my life, through my freedom in Christ, be used to love and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're going to wrestle with. Let's pray. So, Father, I'm thankful tonight that I have brothers and sisters. And I'm thankful that those brothers and sisters haven't come uh, through genetics, but that have come because of the sacrifice and the raising from the dead of your son, Jesus. And so I pray tonight, God, that we would rest in that, be stirred by that, and tonight, even just for another moment in time, bask underneath the reality of your sovereignty that's represented in this room. Come now, shape us, mold us, tear down the walls of defensiveness, and teach us more about yourself in your great and holy and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. So open your Bibles, my friends, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to finish chapter 8 tonight, looking at uh, verse 7 to 13. To say that I'm excited about tonight would be a massive understatement. Let's begin here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. And and if you are still looking for a Bible, there's certainly some across uh, the back walls if you're uh, looking for one. Here we go, verse 7. However... Not all possess this knowledge. Now, because where we were last week and because the word however is connecting it, let's look up to verse 4. It's not going to be on your screen, but look in your Bible, okay? Look at this, verse 4. 
Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, Paul says, we know that an idol has no real existence. We just mentioned that. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called lowercase gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So now he says, however, not all possess this knowledge. Now, the knowledge he's talking about is the knowledge that idolatry is nothing. Uh, in other words, the, the knowledge that these pagan idols really don't exist. Because if you're a new believer in Corinth, and you've grown up in the there's a God for everything and a spirit for everything kind of mantra and reality, then you're really struggling with, okay, now there's one God when there used to be like a, a thousand, right? Now, now we're, we exist from one being and not all of these deities, And so what Paul says is, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some, look at this, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. What he's saying is there are some in Corinth who in their growth process aren't yet to the point where they really see, realize, believe, and understand that an idol is lowercase and does, doesn't exist. And so we're setting the tone to make a whole lot of points, but, but I want to first ask this again, and we're going to see three of these statements throughout tonight. Next slide, if you can. Um, how can I be used to love and serve others in Christ? Let's start with number one from verse seven. We need to recognize that every believer is at a different place in their sanctification. So Paul says, there are some who are weak, they give in and they're defiled. He's talking about believers here. One of the gravest mistakes I made in my early uh, parts of ministry was getting, listen, you guys know, I'm like, I can get fired up every once in a while, okay? Like, I have a decent, fair amount of energy, okay, a lot of passion, in, in the weakness of my early ministry and preaching, okay, I started preaching at 16. Okay, I, I would show up at youth rallies or show up at places or preach in my church. And I, I would feel like I was at a funeral sometimes. You know, like I, I was reading God's word and I was looking out at just a bunch of people who were looking at me like, you know, I, I, I felt like I was the only one in the room that, that cared about Christ at all or that believed he was risen. And so there would be times walking uh, uh, off the stage there or leaving the youth rally or wherever, I'll be like, what is everyone's problem? Like, is he alive or not? And, and so I would leave this like, like, don't you get it? Like, what's your problem? You know, why, why aren't you where I'm at? And it created frustration. It created a self-righteousness. It started to shape my teaching. Thankfully, at some point in all of that, I started to believe this more than I ever had. One of our greatest hindrances in relationships is believing that everyone is at the same place you are. 
Come on, you, you guys have experienced that before, right? Like, God gives you an amazing word. He shows you something through this, like, little verse, right? And it, and it just, it becomes for you this massive epic thing. And then you start sharing it with, with a friend, and you're expecting, like, fireworks, and, you know, you're, you're expecting costumes to come out, and that they're just going to run around. And then they look at you, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's really nice. That's cool. So did you hear about the game? Did it? You're, what? Did you hear what I just said? Like this verse absolutely changed my life this morning. Yeah, that, that verse is nice. I, I, I appreciate it. Come on, now haven't there been moments in your heart where you just want to smack somebody, right? Or you've been like, why, why am I the only one that is getting excited about this? Every single follower of Christ is at a different place, and I'm using the word place instead of stage for a very strategic reason. At a very different place in their sanctification. Another word for sanctification is growth in Christ. Every single believer in this room is at a different place. And do you understand already how that begins to shape, how that begins to shape how we can love one another? If we really believe that, that everyone's at a different place. Okay, some people are over here, some people are over here, some people are learning in this way, some people are massively struggling, some people flourishing. But it doesn't center around where you are at or where I am at. It centers around Christ. Does that make sense? In other words, I am not thrusting my sanctification on everyone else. In the, in the times that I'm struggling, it doesn't mean everyone's struggling. You want to believe that, though, because you want a team. Come on now. Right? Like you go through difficult seasons and, and, and you'll come up to some of your friends. You'll be like, well, aren't you struggling too? And you're disappointed when they have good things to say. Right. And then there's other times where you're flourishing, 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 and you can't understand or get it through that thick skull or that heart why someone isn't at, isn't at that same place. Though three weeks ago, you were, you were struggling massively. I believe one of our greatest hindrances in our relationships together, my friends, is that we think that people need to be right now where we are at. The point is never we, though. It's always Christ. And so as our eyes turn from ourselves and towards the Lord, then all of a sudden we become the family that we are, the body of Christ that we are, and not competitors. Don't you desire for competition to be killed in the body of Christ? Come on now. I know for sure there's been a time, I'll speak for myself, I know for sure there's been a time in my life where I've said something to the effect of, not to be specific, so, uh, so yeah, how are you guys all doing? Oh yeah, well let me tell you about something. So just yesterday I read the whole book of Romans, right? In like 20 minutes. And I studied all the Greek words, right? I didn't even need Jared for those 20 minutes. Like I figured it out on my own, you know, like... And it was all, right, like, there's been moments, and, and, and then you, in the, in, in the end, you said something like, for the glory of Christ, right? To God be the glory for that awesome, amazing effort that I've made. But really what you mean is for the glory of you, okay? So Paul is just setting the tone. Listen, there are some who are weak, that because of what they believe about the food that's offered to idols, they're defiled. Now, and I'm serious about this, verse 7 is like not even scratching the surface of the things Paul says. Verse 8, here we go. Oh my dear goodness, okay? Look at this. Food will not commend us to God, 
We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. He's providing some clarification. He's making sure that everyone understands, look, one of our freedoms in Christ now is not that we all have to go to Starbucks to get our coffee because we're Christians. Okay? We all don't need to eat from Jesus chicken or Chick-fil-A to be Christians. I'm serious. I, like before I even knew about Chick-fil-A, right? And I'm, you guys know I'm big on like if everyone's doing it, that probably means I'm not going to, okay? And so I, before I even knew about Chick-fil-A, like people would say, hey, do you like Chick-fil-A? No, I don't like Chick-fil-A. And I got looks like you're not a Christian, you know? You cannot be a follower of Jesus. Now, now, granted, okay, then I, then I started eating it, and it is good, but it's not, like, it's not like a special Christian restaurant, okay? Some of you believe you're more holy just by going in there or like dabbling that sauce on your head or something, right? It, it doesn't, that's not how it works, right? So what Paul's saying is, listen, listen, food can be sinful, okay? Gluttony, indulgence, the lack thereof. Many in here struggle with eating disorders. So so the issue of food can certainly be a sin issue. But food by itself doesn't dictate whether or not you're a follower of Christ. It doesn't commend us to God or or we could say it this way. It doesn't give us approval in God's eyes. He doesn't say, oh, you ate this, well done. There were dietary laws under the Mosaic law, but those laws now are fulfilled in Christ. So then, verse 9. We're not ready for this. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a, what's the word? A stumbling block to the weak. All right, all right, all right. ChristianMisquote.com says, made up the website, but it says, This is one of the most misquoted topics, okay? Most of us have heard this teaching, well, you're a stumbling block. Well, where is that found? Not sure. I know it's in there somewhere. What's the context? Don't know, don't care. I just know stumbling block's in there somewhere, right? We've heard it. People have used it against us. You're you're being a stumbling block for your brother. Uh, Okay, well, 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 I, I I don't understand. Could you help me understand? You don't need to understand. You just need to know you're a stumbling block, right? Like, that's what... What Paul makes clear is that that there are. Take care that this right or this freedom, or we could say it this way, this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Let's say it this way. Next slide. How can I be used to love and serve others in Christ? I become aware that your life is either a stumbling block or a servant in sanctification for others. I want to make sure everyone understands this really, really clear. There are only two options. If you think there's a third middle ground where complacency and I'm not affecting others, you are misguided. I am misguided. I am either in my life, I'm either a stumbling block for my brothers and sisters in Christ, or I am a servant in their sanctification towards Christ. That's it. Let's, let's say it more, more plainly. I'm either helping or hindering. I'm either pushing people to Christ or I'm inviting them to come away from Christ with me. Do you guys understand? 
Now, I think that there is this belief uh, among Christendom that there is a third category, that I can just kind of do my thing, that my life, my decisions, who I am, doesn't affect anyone else. If you believe that, you are diminishing one of the greatest graces we have in Christ, and that's the body, relationships, community, family. So we need to develop this idea big time. And we're going to start with uh, the words of the Christ that seems pertinent. Next slide. Check this out. John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them in the red letters of my Bible saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, what's the word? Come on. Will not walk in darkness. Well, everyone, everyone has an understanding in your mind right now about what a stumbling block is, right? Okay. So, so, I mean, just to be very, very simple and plain, a stumbling block would be something on my path. Okay, and everyone is tripped and embarrassingly like try to act like you didn't fall, right? Like, oh, that was, you know, and you kind of like got up like it, it was all all right. That, that one like little cobblestone or that one little lip up, okay? So stumbling block is something that trips you up, that halts you, that pauses you, takes you, distracts you. So what Jesus makes clear about himself, look at this, is he is not a stumbling block. He says, look, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Christ, because Christ is not a stumbling block, we find a clear, lighted path. Are we together? Could this be any more clear for us? Okay, so if Jesus isn't a stumbling block, then we have to wrestle with what are the implications for us. Great thing that First John says this. Check this out. But if we walk in the light, come on, as he is in the light, which Jesus just told us how to do that, we have, come on, what's the word? Fellowship with who? With one another. Fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus is in a stumbling block, and when together the body of Christ and koinonia and fellowship is headed to Christ together, we together walk in the light. That's a good place to be. So there's a lot of questions in all this. And what I want to wrestle with for a while, if you don't mind, and even if you do, is, um, is how can we, as Christians, be a stumbling block for one another? This list we could spend a couple weeks on. I'm going to focus on, on five. Some ways that we can be a stumbling block. Number one. I use the word invite here very, very strategically. We invite others into the darkness. Um, just, to, just to be vulnerable with you, um, so we're headed into the marriage retreat this weekend. How many of you guys are going to the marriage retreat this weekend? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. If I would have asked the college students who was going to the college retreat, it would have been a robust, like, you know, like, it would have been very loud. And we asked the married couples if they're going to the marriage retreat. Woo! You know, it's like... We're going, right? Okay. A few years ago, our marriage retreat had gotten very, very loose uh, when we talked about sex. It had, gotten, um, it had gotten to the place where it was like, hey, listen, we're all married folk here. And, uh, and so, like, we can, just, we can just talk about sex very flippantly. Well, the problem with that is, is that even in this room, uh, there are many marriages who are struggling in their sexuality to a great degree. And so any joke 
about sexuality takes that couple who is really, really battling, and it doesn't just diminish them, it squashes them in shame and condemnation. See, but I didn't realize that. I thought it was all fun and games, right? And so we'd gotten very loose. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say uh, overly inappropriate, but I would definitely say like bordering the line, sometimes going over it. What I was doing in the allowance of it is I was inviting people into the darkness. There's no other way around it. It was my sin. I was allowing banter and games and conversations to go on. Thankfully, uh, some brothers and sisters in my life came to me and said, Mark, like, this should not be so. And, and I'm here to say on the celebrative note that last year, the culture of the marriage retreat completely changed. Not only did we address the issue, but we realized that because people are in so many different categories and places in their sexuality, if we approach them in that way, like sexuality in and of itself could be a stumbling block for others, if we just begin to consider others, everything changes, and it did. I had to realize my sin. I was literally inviting people into the darkness. I want you to understand something. You have to be invited. What I mean by that is I can't pull someone with me. We want to justify and latch on to anything we possibly can. And I'll guarantee you every single one of us have blamed some of our sin on someone else. Come on. That's, that was 1-800-HIS-FAULT. If he would have been doing that, if she would have been doing that, if he would have been saying that or thinking that or saying like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have indulged. Listen, we can in our own sin invite others into the darkness. But my friends, they have to. We have to go. I'm thankful for the scripture in 1 Corinthians that we're going to be studying here uh, later on. that says, no temptation has seized us besides what is common to man. And God is faithful to always provide a way out of temptation. So no matter how much you're invited in, God always provides a way out. Okay. But that's how we can be a stumbling block. And listen, there's all kinds of application for this. Ways we've invited people into the darkness. And certainly some of you are doing that now. Are you a hindrance or a help? Number two, plenty more here to come. We can give wisdom or direction that's based on humanistic reason versus God's word. Oh my goodness. Going to believers who uh, have not, not only not been uh, studying God's word, but going to believers who we think is, is, are just going to like make our heart feel good, give us some sort of uh, euphoric uh, Christian brotherhood teammate kind of feeling. And I just want to make sure you understand right now, anytime, anytime in boldness because you wanted to feel needed, Someone's come to you, they've asked you for wisdom, you're like, oh, oh, this is cool, like I feel like they want, I feel like they want my opinion, and, and, and there's this very highly potentially selfish thing that comes in you that just wants to blurt out something. Some of the greatest wisdom I've ever, ever seen given is when I've sought people for wisdom and they said, you know what, here's what I need to do, I need to pray about that because I, like, I have no idea right now. Let's take 48 hours together. Let's fast and pray. We'll come back together and see what the Lord says from his word. That is good wisdom. That is good wisdom. In my experience, many seasoned people take that approach. Those of which who have the most wisdom in terms of season of life, I see often this consistency of, listen, we need to be like slow to speak here, okay? Let's pray about this, seek out what God wants for us and keep moving. But we've been a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters in Christ in this way. Number three, some ways we can be a stumbling block 
is dominating relationship with a, with a focus on your joys, your struggles, your fill in the blank. I, I know for, for some of you this may be difficult to understand how this is a stumbling block. If the issue is considering others, if the issue is helping people, being a servant in their sanctification, then that means considering others is diminishing the talk and banter about yourself. All of us have relationships, um, and some of us, the, the designer of them, where all people talk about is what's going on in their life. And I'm wondering now if you're even realizing that that's you. The last time you asked someone a pertinent question outside of how they were doing, it's been a long, long, long time. The last time you engaged someone's heart, instead of waiting on the, the return question that would give you a, a forum and a platform, the beauty of considering others, the beauty of uh, humbling ourselves is being engaged in the interests of others. Number four, some ways we can be a stumbling block. This is huge. We can claim Christ while not pursuing Christ. Because what claiming Christ and not pursuing Christ does is it lures the rest of us. Oh, well, maybe they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think, yeah, I think they're a believer. I mean, they certainly say a lot of the right things. They certainly have mastered the art of, of, of looking like they're living like Jesus. And so then what happens, right? Especially if it's an influential person, they begin to rally people around them. But, but what are they doing? Inviting them into the darkness. I want to give you another example uh, in, in all this. Um, our wedding, Heidi didn't know I was going to share this story. She doesn't know I'm going to share most of the stories that I share. So sometimes I have to apologize later. I don't think she'll... I don't think I'll need an apology on this or she'll need an apology, but our wedding, like, we were, you guys know, we got engaged at um, 21, dating at 16, told her very early in our relationship we were going to get married. I I was thankful she said yes because she was uh, and still is an unbelievable woman. And so what happened is her her dad came to us and offered us a settlement uh, before the wedding. He's like, listen, you guys, let's just do this thing small. Here's a lump cash sum, Okay. And you guys can just take it, right? And, um, and instead, I, I led us down this path of, but we have X amount of friends and let's just go crazy. And so it was like, it was so enthralling and it was so, so we had like, I don't know how many people at our wedding, but it was a lot. Everyone had to drive like 50 minutes to our uh, reception paid a bunch for the food, and it was horrible, right? Like the, the green beans that they gave you at the little, like, dinner, you know, the, the, the show, right, where they're like, oh, this is our green beans, and they, it turns out they weren't, they were like brown beans, you know, it was just weird. Um, we spent an unbelievable, unbelievable amount of money on that wedding. And I feel like in that, in that time, I was, I was pursuing, like, having an amazing wedding, And I think if Heidi and I could go back, I'm not saying that that we would not have a wedding. But I'm saying now with the the perspective that we have, we we would say, like, what what really is important here? And so in my leadership in that time of our home and my soon-to-be wife, I felt like I I was a stumbling block to the whole process. 
hey, honey, whatever, let's just, let's make it big. Let's go big or go home, right? And her parents were just, I kind of wish we could go back and have had to pay for our own wedding because I think things will look a little bit different. We can convince one another that we're pursuing Christ and see great dangers in that. Some other ways uh, that we become a stumbling block for people. We're going to camp here for a second and certainly that child agrees. But when we, when we are working hard at being the fun Christian, language, working hard at being the fun Christian, man. Come on, you, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the fuddy-duddy. You've heard, plenty, you've, had a, you've heard enough people say, oh, you're going to be one of those kind of people. One of those kind of people that don't cuss. One of those kind of people that don't, you know, take your freedoms and your liberties and extend it. Like, there is not, not an ounce in most of us that wants to be called the not fun Christian. And so we work hard. Towing the line, fitting in where we can, looking a little bit more like culture so that people would see that, that, listen, we can still be relevant. What I've learned about relevancy is that relevancy is found in joy. Relevancy is found in joy. Okay, I know some of you guys know my story. I was the most outspoken Christian on our entire campus in college. I know it's, I know it's hard to believe, okay, but I was very loud. We, we would be walking down uh, the, 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 like the, the little like area in the middle of the college, and I was known for just yelling out people's name randomly, right? So I'd see like Joe across by, by his class, what's up, Joe? You know, and I was just like yelling, like it didn't matter who it was. Like I was just yelling all the time, like just, and somehow being the most joyful or the most outspoken Christian on my campus, even though I, I, I wasn't drinking at the parties or doing X, Y, Z, Still, in that situation, I, I was the homecoming king and Heidi the homecoming queen. Like, I, like, how does that happen? It just happens because joy is the thing that's relevant. That, that's what, that was the thing that was building relationships more than anything else. Joy. People want life. They want to be around life. So life is attractive. I don't, I don't say that to build myself up. I'm just saying that somehow the... Outspoken Christianity actually gains the approval of outsiders even though they don't even know that they're approving of the gospel, okay, right? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Next slide. In verse 10, this is number six now, the specifics, okay? For if anyone in Corinth, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So this is number six now, and specific, specifically for corn. Look, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat, to eat food offered to the, to the idol? So you have the weaker brother, the weaker sister. They see the stronger brother... Go into the temple, and because the stronger brother believes that, like it's it's an like it's nothing, it's an idol. Like this food is just food. But because of where the weaker brother is at, when the weaker brother sees the stronger brother indulge, then the weaker brother is tempted. Maybe even we could say encouraged 
to indulge themselves. So Paul's saying is this, this is problematic, isn't it? Now, every single thing you do in this life could cause every single other person to sin somehow. Could we agree? Like it doesn't matter what I say or what I do. Like somehow everyone could say and take every single one of these words and it could somehow be a stumbling block. Okay, so what he's not saying is we need to walk on eggshells. No, we're freed in Christ. But what he is saying is, listen, 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 brother and sister. There's a great potential that you're not considering anyone else in the decisions you make. Again, if we just took a second and allowed the gravity of God's sovereignty in the room to shape us just for a second, couldn't we say that we have much to consider in our decisions? And so verse 11 says, look at this. And so by your knowledge... The weak person is, what's the word? Come on. Is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. And so number three in the house, this is huge. How can we love, how can we serve others in Christ? We remember that Christ's blood didn't just pay for our sin, or in your case, your sin. I mean, look at the heaviness of verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. But because you didn't consider them, because they didn't even come in your mind, because um, you took the sex addict, or you took the, the sexually struggling, and by your language and demeanor and jokes, you allowed that brother to, to struggle immensely, go back to the place by themselves and wrestle with those things. And again, I know what many of you are thinking of. This is why I said like the defensive walls come up. Mark, what are we supposed to do then? Like how is it possible that that everything that comes out of my mouth, I'm thinking, okay, so how will that affect them? And how will that affect them? And how are they hearing it? And how are they seeing it? And what if I say something wrong? And how, does anyone else feel the weight of that? Because that's kind of what I start feeling, right? I'm like, ah. well, it's better than just to not say anything is kind of the, the way I'm, right? But then my body language will cause someone to stumble. Like, God, what do we do? Right. But this is our freedom in Christ. We get the gift of living our entire existence considering the needs and the places of others. But you don't know where they're at if you don't ask. There are certainly going to be levels of relationships in our life. And, and there's no way I can be held responsible for knowing the place at every single, of every single person in this room. But I can certainly shape language, be intentional in communication to where I'm taking the needs of every single person in this room seriously. That's what Paul's saying. You're literally taking the brother for whom Christ died and placing somehow, believing somehow, that the blood of Christ was only for you. So their sanctification, their growth doesn't matter. And so he says what all of us need to hear right now in verse 12. Thus, 
sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against, what's the word? You sin against Christ. So for those that walked in believing that the stumbling block issue was just an issue of, you know, a topic that we should discuss and wrestle with, I want to point all of us to what Paul's clearly saying is that causing our brothers or sisters to stumble, being a stumbling block in their path, what Paul says is you sin against Christ. It's a sin issue. Now, if I step back and I just start evaluating my own journey, first of all, I know this, I've said a lot of things. And there's a very, very good chance that I've offended in some way about 99% of this room at some point, okay? So there's been some time it wasn't conviction, they, the words were fleshly, and you walked away, and in your car, you were like, I can't believe Mark said that, and I can't believe his tone was this way, and, and I, you know, like, what's his problem, and, you know, his, his, plus his beard was off that night, and, like, the whole thing, it just wasn't, you know, like, whatever. And, and I don't want this to sound trite. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear my heart in this. I desire, in this church, Matthias' Lot Church, I desire in this body to consistently take us to Christ. That's my heart. I know for sure that I have failed at that at times, even for you specifically. And I want to, again, even tonight after the gathering or whatever, I want to bring you in, giving you an opportunity to share those things with me so that I can repent of those and apologize for those. Because I do not nor I know every other leader in this body, we do not desire to be a stumbling block for anyone. Now, conviction from the Spirit's different from humanistic fleshly words. Are Are we together? If the Spirit's convicting you, then so be it. God, please come and keep convicting and keep changing us and keep taking us to yourself. But let it not be out of my pride or my insecurity or my passions I don't desire that to get in the way of anyone else, nor do I desire anyone else's heart, words, journey, life in this body to be a stumbling block for anyone else. Isn't that your heart? I'm pretty sure that that we'd be hard-pressed to find someone in this room who's like, no, actually, I want to be a stumbling block, right? That's my desire. I'm here to be a stumbling block. There may be a few out there. But most often what happens is you find yourself in darkness and you want to invite others in because you want company. And then all of a sudden you wake up and realize it. So this beautiful text ends very, very pertinently then with verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So what you should be saying now is, all right, Mark, I heard that. I heard you say it, Mark. You don't desire to be a stumbling block. Then don't. Then walk in the light, Mark. 
then continually humble yourself, Mark, and consider others, Mark. And you insert your own self in all of that. What Paul is saying is, listen, it, if this is going to cause someone else to stumble, I don't want to do that. And so what he says is, I, I'll never eat meat then. You're like, well, that's, that seems radical. That, that, like, how, how, how could he approach that? And certainly there's, there, there has to be some exemption clauses in there. And, and we'll wrestle with some of those as 1 Corinthians goes on. But, but at the same time, let's take his word for what he's saying. I don't want my brother or sister to stumble. I want to be a servant in their sanctification. And so God, please... Humble me in all situations around all people to be highly sensitive to where your spirit will lead me and guide me. Could we agree right now? Could we agree that the spirit will not cause, will not lead us into causing another brother or sister to stumble? Could we agree with that? In other words, the spirit isn't taking us to be a stumbling block. So God help us. So here's what we need to get back to. Freedom. If you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Where most of you are at right now is, well, I can't live then. I now cannot ever drink coffee. I guess Mark's saying that now I can never drink alcohol. I guess Mark's saying that if I ever watch TV or a movie, then I'm sinning. I guess what people have done is they have taken this teaching and then they've they've made it legalistic. So they've taken their liberties and their freedoms in Christ and they've seen this kind of teaching and they said, all right, so now we're going to get legalistic. So now... Listen, if you go to a PG-13 movie, sinning, right? I mean, if you say darn it, if you say darn it, sin, right? If you drink anything with aspartame, definite sin, right? Big sin, okay. Right, and, and listen, even like if you support certain chains, you know, like, man, if you go to Kohl's because, you know, they have, they have a warehouse here and here. And so then what it does, does that create freedom in anyone? Heck no. Then what every Christian starts doing then is they start like tiptoeing and walking on eggshells because they're waiting for their next legalistic person to call them to the table. I saw that. I saw, I, I saw you in that movie. Oh, well, I thought it was Bambi. No, you didn't. You didn't. You knew it wasn't. And so then what does the world see? Come on, what does the world see? They see something they want nothing to do with. So here's the question. How then can we live free in the freedoms of Christ, with the liberties of Christ, Christ having fulfilled the law and the prophets, how can we do that then and not cause our brother to stumble? Um, Men in this room, could you stand up with me? Men, just the men.
This may be awkward for some, and I know that some of you men standing right now aren't believers. The question I'm asking you men right now is for believers. In spite of everything that's been said tonight, every journey we've gone through, every single man in this room must wrestle with this. Next slide. Are you more of a stumbling block or a servant in sanctification for your brothers? Are you taking your brothers to Christ? Are you finding your conversations consistently glorifying Christ? Husbands, do you see that role in your marriage? Stirring your wife on to the person of Christ. Reminding her that you're not the hero in your home. The paycheck that you provide is grace. That maybe the kids, if you've been so blessed, are grace. That you don't come home every day and take off your superhero cape so that everyone in your home can cheer you on again. But instead, you come home and once again bend the knee and show your home how to serve Christ together. What do your kids see? Your co-workers. And every brother in this body that's standing with you right now, do you see the gift that we have in each other? But when we begin to pull one another into darkness, when we begin to push legalism and not embracing freedom, then what happens is a whole culture of men who are called and empowered by God's Spirit to be emboldened in this culture with the gospel, all of a sudden become not just weak, but shameful of Christ. Let it not be so, men. Father, I pray over these men. I pray that we collectively as men here would find ourselves in humility Considering the needs of others, wrestling with the implications of this evening, and God implementing by the power of your Spirit. Stir these men, myself, to repentance. Areas right now, God, that we're dragging others into darkness, inviting them. I pray, Father, that instead we would be a consistent advocate, a consistent servant in the sanctification of others, God. Embolden us as men. I pray this in your name. You guys can have a seat. Ladies, can you guys stand up? Ooh. See, some of you were like holding your husband's hand like, go ahead, bro. It's your night. certainly true of the guys, but I want to speak specifically about the women here. I couldn't be more encouraged about the females in our body. We're so blessed. So many matriarchs. So many incredible women in this body. So thankful. Generations of disciples that have been made. Thankful. I want to make sure 
that every single one of you not just feel cherished, but I want to make sure you understand how appreciative we are to be in a body with such a strong core of female. What a blessing. We still have to ask the hard questions, though. Let's say it this way. Women, are you more of a stumbling block or a servant in sanctification for your sisters? Get specific right now. The things that are coming to your mind, the victories, where the conversation could have went this way, but instead God intervened. Those of you with daughters, what are they seeing? Those that will have daughters, what will they see? Will they see a mother and a wife that exalts a husband? Or will they see a woman who exalts Christ? The one person in her life that will never fail her. Because guarantee you that husband will. How are we embracing women? A culture in this body to continue to cultivate women that stand against culture's perception of women and instead say, God, continue to define us through your son Jesus. Give us identity, God, and nothing else. We love you so much, care for you, want to protect you, and want to celebrate God's work in you. Do you find yourself tonight more of a stumbling block? There's great hope. Repent. Embrace being a servant in sanctification for your sisters. Look at the sisters standing up here. It's an army. Men, let's pray for our sisters right now. Father, I ask. I ask right now, God, that you would embolden, that you would soften, that you would stir, that you would break gossip chains that you would purge judgment. God, that where uh, women have found a power in numbers, that you would break the chains of those sins and, and turn them from that, God, to pursue you. God, do that work in my sisters tonight. I pray that they will continue to, to know how much they're loved and cherished in this body, but way, way more so by you. So God, I pray that your kindness leads to repentance. Your great name. Everybody stand up now. Come on, man, stand up with them. Now. No, no, no. Once again, here, we're, here we are. All right, everyone, don't be a stumbling block. Evaluate the areas you feel like you are. Go. Don't be a stumbling block. You know, that the, you know right now that that's not the teaching. Our hope isn't in our ability to leave out these double doors or my ability next week to communicate the perfectly crafted teaching that will offend no one. No, my friends, tonight, yet again, we get to rest in Christ. Romans 15, check this out. Here we go. Somebody better get a little excited with me tonight. Look at this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to what? Come on. Please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good 
and to build him up. Romans 14 talks about the same thing. Hello, verse 3. Look at this. Beautiful, beautiful. For Christ did not please himself. I mean, if there could just be one line tonight that just grabs your mind and your heart and just sinks in, let it be that line. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might what? Come on. Have what? Have hope. And our hope is not in this body's ability to not be a stumbling block. Our hope is in Christ who isn't one. Jesus will never be a stumbling block for anyone. Not only is he our source of sanctification or the pursuit of our sanctification, he is the means by which we're seen by God as holy. And so because of that hope then, look at this crazy in verse 5, 6, and 7. I love this next slide. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another then. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The voice could say a whole lot of things. The voice can take us this way or that way. It's, it's like a, a, it has such a, it can, like a rudder, man. It can take us down the path. But instead, with one voice together, we can celebrate. And finally, verse 7, therefore, welcome one another. Hello. As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Not a one of us deserve to be welcomed in. And yet Christ has said, come. And so you and I get this unbelievable gift in welcoming one another in into this precious journey that God's given us together. And so tonight with one voice, with one desire, with one hope, we're going to celebrate not our pursuit of perfection and not being a stumbling block, but in how Christ, through his broken body and shed blood and resurrection, has given us hope in his perfection. And so tonight we share in that broken body. We share tonight in that shed and spilt blood. This meal tonight is for believers to come and take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the cup as a means of saying, God, thank you that you've never been a stumbling block. God, please tonight help me understand how I can follow you in the light and be a means by which my brothers and sisters can be stirred to follow you deeper. And so God, now for all of us, men and women, I pray that we would receive the welcome that you've extended. And I pray, God, that in our relationships with one another tonight, we would see the blessed opportunity that we have to take people to your son. I confess my own failures in spite of my longings. But Father, tonight I have great hope. You've conquered the grave so that tonight we could have life. Church as God leads tonight, let's respond in this meal 
and worship together in one voice.